Every season is spooky season in our book. So settle in and prepare to be shook. You are listening to Shook, a comedic podcast about all things paranormal and unexplained. Hey friends, I'm Amanda. And I'm Santa. And fun fact, by the time you are listening to this, we will have celebrated our one year birthday slash anniversary as a podcast. August Yay. 3rd, that is the birth of Shook. And we're very excited Yay. about that. And so I guess this is kind of our happy birthday to us episode. Yeah, I just wanted to thank everybody from the bottom of our hearts because we wouldn't be doing this without our lovely listeners. So if you've been here since day one or literally since yesterday, it doesn't matter. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> no, really, thank you. <laughs> Let's see. My fun fact also is kind of about the both of us because when this comes out, it'll be our last episode before we go to Cryptid Bash, which is hosted by our friends, the Moth Boys podcast, and that's going to be up in West Virginia on the 19th of August. It's going to be so much fun, and we've literally been looking forward to this forever. So um, with that said, we are going to be taking a little bit of a break, but we promise the next one after this, it's going to be a doozy. Yeah, you're going to want to have your notifications set up because it's going to be kind of a big deal. <laughs> it's going to be pretty iconic and you're not going to expect it. And yeah, just know that, yeah, we're, we're really excited about it. And we have so much more to say about it when it actually happens and we can talk about it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I have a... I have another fun fact that will segue into the story that had me shook this week. So another fun fact is that I saw the Barbie movie last weekend and I loved it so uh. much and I'm not going to give any spoilers, but you better go fucking see it right now. And I don't want to hear any complaints about it being too feminist or anti-man right. because it's not. And if you think that it is, then you miss the point. And that's all I have to say about it. And have you seen it yet? No, not yet. And it's on my list. I asked Connolly if he wanted to go see Oppenheimer. And he was like, I don't want to see any movies. And I was like, so not Barbie either? And he was like, no. And I was like, what? Okay, the story that had me shook is that Connolly doesn't want to see Oppenheimer. <laughs> <laughs> of all movies, you would think that would be the one. I I have not seen Oppenheimer yet, but I really would like to see it. I definitely wanted to Barbenheimer, but like that would have been too much for one day. <laughs> Overstimulation for sure. I thought Emily was going to see it or I saw that Emily was going to see it. I don't know if she went yet. Yeah, she she went with mom and they had a blast and she said she laughed and she cried and it's amazing and um, I'm a little bit salty that I wasn't invited, but it's fine. I'm just kidding. I'm not salty. No, Connelly and I had other plans, but um, no, it's okay. Uh, I think Emily said she wanted to go see it again, make it a twofer. Mm -hmm. I want to see it again. Um, I want to see it again. I'm really glad that she saw it with your mom, and I really think that you should see it with your mom. Um, and I'm going to see it again with my mom next mm -hmm. Sunday for her birthday as like a belated birthday thing so i'm nice, excited nice, to see it nice. a second time 
because it's pretty much my new favorite movie. Yes, happy birthday, happy Ma. Happy birthday, Ma. By the time you listen to this, it will have been your birthday past, but still. Okay, so does your fun fact relate to the story that had you shook this week? Is that what you said? Yes, loosely. Loosely it does, and I'm going to show you something to give you a hint about what it might be about. Because I feel like you know about this location, but I don't know. Okay. I mean, I knew about it, but didn't know as much about it as I do now. But maybe this will give you a clue. Does this... Does this give you a clue of what my story might be about? Mm. For those listening, I'm holding up a decapitated doll head. Wait, Island of the Dolls? Yeah! Yay, hunty, you win! Yay! Oh my gosh, that's really exciting. My friend Larissa recommended we cover this, and I was like, yes, "Yes, hunty, it'll happen sooner than later, and I'm glad you're doing it, because... This is such a creepy one, and I'm very loose on the details because I haven't watched the Ghost Adventures episode in a while. Yeah, I did yesterday, um, but I not just the Ghost Adventures episode, but uh, other things. <laughs> but that was a good, it was a good episode, and it was informative, but also went a little off the rails. Anyways, I decided to do <laughs> Island of the Dolls today because of my Ghost magazine, Um, It's life's special magazine of the world's most haunted places, creepy, ghostly, and notorious spots. Of course, a magazine that I got at Kroger um, because I stay getting ghost magazines at Kroger. And yeah, Mm -hmm. I've actually been wanting to cover this for a long time. And then I was trying to figure out what I was going to do. And I was like, hmm, dolls, Barbie, there are some Barbies at the island. <laughs> no way. Yeah. And definitely, just so you know, when I go, because I plan on going at some point, if I ever get a freaking passport, I'm bringing my one and only Ken doll whose head falls off all the time. And that is going to be my offering to the island. I'm going to ha- I'm gonna string him up on a tree and it's going to be great. <laughs> um, but anyways, so I'm going to tell y'all now about... The Island of the Dolls and why it is what it is. The Island of the Dolls, also known as Isla de las Muñecas, it exists in the canals of Xochimilco, which is in the southern part of Mexico City in Mexico. And the reason for the dolls is because in the 1950s, the island's caretaker Julian Santana Barrera, he allegedly, okay, there's there's a couple of st- different stories as to exactly what happened here. One version is that he discovered a drowned girl after the fact and that her doll was floating next to her in the water. Another version is that he saw her drowning and tried to get to her and didn't get to her in time Aww. and that her doll washed up the next day yeah and so there's there's a couple of different you know specifics there but the takeaway is he did discover a drowned girl and her doll was at the site Mm. of her death and so he recovered the doll and Mm. he didn't really do anything with it at first but he started experiencing weird things on the island some say 
that all of his crops died suddenly. Like he woke up one morning and all of his crops were just dead. And then also he mm-hmm. he reported to like friends and family that he saw ghosts and heard footsteps and heard crying and just lots of things that like didn't make any sense because he was the sole human on this island at night. <laughs> So, out of respect and to pacify the girl's spirit, at least so he thought, he hung her doll up in a tree, the doll that he had recovered from the canal. And the haunting experiences continued. He still Mm -hmm. kept hearing things and seeing things and being tormented. And so, he started just hanging up more dolls, more and more dolls. He would search through the trash in town and just get dolls that way. He would trade his crops for actual dolls from people. Be like, here, here's some fruit if you'll give me that doll. Wait, his dead crops? (laughs) Well, he was able to get more crops eventually. Good, because that sucks. Yeah, I think he was able to as as he kept putting dolls around. I think like the prosperity and abundance returned with Mm -hmm. the crops. And now there's over a thousand dolls hanging from trees and like nailed up to different things. The dolls are just hanging everywhere and it's so creepy, but it's like also kind of beautiful. Mm -hmm. It's like a weird display of art that is really honestly super cool to me because I love creepy dolls. So ultimately, this story kind of reminds me of the lore surrounding Sarah Winchester in a way. The way that she was said to have had to constantly build or else the ghosts were going to catch up to her. Julian seemed to think that Mm -hmm. he had to constantly add more and more dolls in order to keep himself safe and to keep the island safe. But it really just got to this point where he was like, I think all these dolls are possessed. Because he, you know, started to see them like moving and sounds coming from the dolls, whispering sounds coming from the Mm. dolls, things like that. There's a couple of different tellings of how this went down too. Um, But in 2001, Julian was fishing on the canal and his nephew was there with him. And his nephew said that... Julian was singing songs and was really happy and was saying that the mermaids in the water were calling for him. He went away for a little break from fishing, Hmm. came back, and Julian was face down in the canal, allegedly in the same spot where the girl drowned. Ooh, I have chills. That's spooky. Yeah. And, And another version of this said that Julian saw the girl's ghost while he was fishing and had a heart attack. So there's like two different stories there. It's saw the girl's ghost and had a heart attack or heard the mermaids calling or both maybe. But there's some interesting lore going on there. Um, There's definitely a lot of mermaid folklore in that area. Hmm. So some visitors bring dolls to add to the collection (laughs) as an offering for the girl who drowned and now for Julian. That's why we see Barbies there now um, because it's a tourist attraction. So after... After Julian died, his family turned it into a tourist attraction. People can go there. We can go there if you want. But I also have some history of the land just to give you even more 
info as to what creepiness could be happening in the canal besides just the girl who drowned. So in the 1500s, during the era of Hernan Cortes, many Aztecs fled to Xochimilco and hid in the canals. A lot of them were women and children hiding from conquistadors. Many women killed themselves to escape being caught and raped by the Spanish. And over the years, many people were killed or drowned in those canals, people that were trying to escape the Spanish. Um, and this was during this, the Spanish-Aztec War, which I believe went from 1519 to 1521. So for centuries, this was a place for people to go to try to disappear one way or another. Either they would go there to hide or go there to kill themselves before somebody else did, or they would get caught there and, and killed. It was a lot of death happening in the canals and bodies being dumped in the canals. And it's just mm -hmm. a lot. And the Isla de las Muñecas exists within the Mexico City limits. Mexico City was originally an island in a volcanic caldera lake, which is a large volcanic crater. And it was surrounded by the Sierra Madre Mountains. The Aztec Empire, which existed from 1300 BC to 1521 BC, was the first to start developing the area. They created a system of man-made islands called chinampas with a canal system so farmers could navigate among them. So that's, that's where the canal system originated from, them trying to farm. And it was like really a great idea. It worked really well for them. And after the Aztecs were defeated in the Spanish-Aztec War, in 1521, most of the Chinampas were filled in and became part of the foundation of Mexico City as we know it today. However, Chinampas in Xochimilco in the southern end of the city were not filled in, and the canal system still exists there. It is now a UNESCO World Heritage Site and is considered to be of outstanding universal value. And UNESCO stands for United Nations Educational, Scientific, and Cultural Organization, it's preserved and will not ever be filled in. So allegedly in the 1950s, the water in the canal was so clear that you could see the bottom. Mm. And that is how Julian was able to notice the body of the young girl at the bottom of the waterway. It's not as clear anymore, but then it, it was back then. Some more information about uh, Julian's family who now run the island. Julian's nephew, Rogelio Sanchez Santana, is now the caretaker of the island. He says that in the mornings, his uncle started seeing ghosts and one day woke up to find all of his crops had died, which I mentioned before. He couldn't revive them no matter what he did at the time. Julian built an altar in his cabin for the girl's spirit, but the spirit still troubled him. He hung the girl's doll in a tree, then began collecting more dolls to protect himself from the spirit. He collected more than a thousand dolls before he died in the river. Julian and his wife could never have kids, so when Julian died, his brother Anastasio took over. And then when Anastasio died in 2019, Rogelio became guardian of the island, but he does not live there like those before him. He lives 20 minutes off of the island with his family, and he just commutes there. So he's like... <laughs> He's like, no, I believe I'm going to set a boundary. Mm. I'm setting a boundary. I'm clocking out. Yeah. <laughs> I believe I'm going to set a boundary. Okay. Put that on the list for potential titles. That's funny. Anyway, so Rogelio um, does not live on the island because he has set 
the boundary that he's not taking his work home with him and he's clocking out at the end of the day so he can spend some time with his family and not be haunted. Also, over the years, several other imitation doll islands have popped up in the canal. I bet people have like mistakenly gone to the fake ones thinking they were at the, like, you know, Americans that don't know better. It's, it's really inauthentic and y'all need to stop it. Rogelio said he sometimes sees shadows in the moonlight and visitors claim to see the doll's eyes move and to hear them talk. And that's my story about Isla de las Muñecas. And I really want to go and I really want to bring my Ken doll because I really think Hollywood Ken would really love it there. I think you would too. But okay, I have some questions though, because you said you watched the Ghost Adventures episode. So what kind of evidence did they get? I don't remember. It's been so long. First of all, apparently Zach is like more afraid of dolls than anything in this world. Um, And so he was really struggling with that, like more than Aaron, more than anybody. He was really struggling. But then he decided to bring in this notoriously haunted doll called Harold the doll and he brought the doll in just to see if it would provoke or anything seeing if it would have any kind of effect on the spirits and in the dolls on the island Mm -hmm. it seems like they heard whispering and saw doll movement and stuff like that I didn't see any of that on camera like the the movement and stuff. I heard whispering and stuff. I don't know what to make of that. But the one thing that I took as evidence that really didn't have anything to do with the island, but more to do with Harold the doll, mm-hmm. was Zach out of nowhere had a bruise on his left arm and it was three tiny little fingerprints. And it was a bruise because he wiped it really hard to show that it wasn't makeup. And Zach believes that it was Harold the doll because when he received Harold the doll, um, the doll's owner said, be careful with his left arm because it is falling off. And also Harold the doll is kind of like demonic. So like not good energy. And so, yeah, Zach believes that. So that's the only thing that I thought was like compelling evidence really that I would not be like skeptical about like editing or something. Um, yeah. So yeah, that was crazy. And then I don't think I actually finished the whole episode, so I don't know how they like totally wrapped it up, but like that was enough for me. I was like, okay, well at least Harold the doll is haunted for sure. Yeah. Dang. That's spooky and really sad of a really sad story too. When we go to the Island of the Dolls, they take you through several Mm -hmm. different tourist areas on your way to get to the island. So there's, there's like a a museum, there's a play of La Llorona that happens and a couple of other like gift shops and things like that, that you can stop at along your way to the island. And the ghost adventures crew stopped at the La Llorona play And they made a connection between that and the girl who drowned. Um, I don't know. I don't know if there really is one, but they were kind of, I think for tourist attraction reasons, I definitely can see Mm -hmm. uh, the motive of trying to make that connection. The people putting on the play, like let's, let's really amp this up. So like, I don't really know. I don't know 
if there's anything to support that. But that's pretty much my story. And mm. I can't wait until we can take our ghost Dang, trips international. That's the first place I want to go because it's in North America. That's right. That sounds fun as hell. I've only I've only been to Mexico once and it was on a cruise. We stopped in Cozumel. It was a long time ago. And back then you didn't have to have a passport if you're on like international waters or whatever. I think you have to have one now, even if you're cruising. But <laughs> fun fact about Mexico, I went with my friends and we get off the boat and after we disembark, this man in a taxi pulls up to us and he says, do you want to go to an all-inclusive resort? And we're like, yeah, because nothing bad can happen. And so we get in the back of the taxi and he literally hands us a menu. <laughs> He's like, here are your options. Which place do you want to go to? And I was like, excuse me, does this say private pool and all you can eat and drink for $55? Say less. So we went there. And I don't drink anymore, but back then I went a little too hard and probably passed out in the back of the taxi ride, which again, back to my point that I've been making with friends recently is that I was so carefree in my twenties thinking literally nothing bad can happen. Everything's fine, but I would never do that now. I would never that was a great story, Santa. I'm glad you covered it because I did promise my friend that we would cover this at some point. So, <laughs> What story had you shook this week? Yes. Okay, so it turns out, completely unbeknownst to either one of us, that today's podcast episode, for both of us, is going international. We both randomly decided we were going to pick something outside of the USA. So it's been way too long. Since I last covered a non-alien cryptid. So the story that had me shook this week comes from Canadian folklore. And fun fact, uh, the name of this creature also happens to be a palindrome, uh, which is a word that's spelt the same way forwards and backwards. And to be frank, I picked this story partly because I just like saying the word. And that is Ogopogo. Just a quick refresher. A cryptid is a creature that, despite having reported sightings and everything, it's not yet been proven by scientists to exist. Now, as for the Ogopogo, a.k.a. Augie for short, a.k.a. Naha Atik, is a cryptid that allegedly dwells in British Columbia, Canada's Okanagan Lake. Ogopogo is described as a long, serpentine-like creature with dark green or black, smooth skin, with humps along its back and is estimated to be up to 50 feet long, whipping its long tail and causing ripples and waves across Okanagan Lake at high speeds. So basically, Ogopogo is Canada's version of the Loch Ness Monster of Scotland. Although Nessie is certainly more widely known, don't get it twisted. Ogopogo was spotted first. So for reference, Ogopogo's home Okanagan Lake rests in the Okanagan Valley and is 84 miles long. It ranges from 2.5 to 3.1 miles wide and is 761 feet deep at its greatest depth. So Mark M. Orkin, a local historian, he stated that the creature got its name from a song that was played once at an English music hall in Vernon, British Columbia in 1924. Are you ready for this? The lyrics read, 
His mother was an earwig. <laughs> His father was a whale. A little bit of head and hardly any tail. And Ogopogo was his name. <laughs> it's low-key giving. <laughs> Old MacDonald had a farm. E-I-E-I-O. <laughs> Ogopogo was his name. Honestly, that was exactly where my head went when I heard that. But on the flip side, I think it's funny that this song directly obliterates the theories that this guy's a big one with a long tail. Like, it completely cancels that out so not sure why those were the lyrics that were chosen he could have said long ass tail or anything other than hardly any tail but you know that's just that's just on me yeah they wanted it to have sexual innuendo so that people would really pay attention Ooh. <laughs> so the legend of ogopogo begins with the indigenous natives the Sequempemp and the Sayux natives referred to this mysterious creature as the Naitaka, also the Nahaatik, which is considered an evil supernatural entity that translates to water demon or water god. Um, terrified that the creature would suck them down to the bottom of the lake, the natives would, trigger warning, sacrifice small animals before entering to ensure their safety. Now, oral history suggests that a chief named Timbisket, I hope I'm saying that right, skeptically did not buy into the notion that the lake creature was evil and therefore did not believe that there was a need for an animal sacrifice. He was like, hard pass on killing these innocent squirrels. And consequently, one day, he and his family, they climbed into a canoe, they entered the lake only for the snake-like monster to emerge. He then, quote-unquote, whipped up the surface of the lake with his long tail, causing a small, quote-unquote, storm, resulting in the family being thrown from their canoe and sinking to the bottom of Okanagan Lake. Others would say that the creature is a sacred entity that protects the valley in which it sits. In 1872, a woman named Susan Allison would be the first European settler to report a sighting of the beast. Now, Susan may have been the first non-native to see Ogopogo, but she certainly was not the last. Over the span of hundreds of years, dozens of people have claimed to see this creepy little fella. Again, in 1968, moving it way forward, there was another sighting from a man named Art Folden. He was driving along local Highway 97 when he noticed that something was causing a disturbance in the Okanagan Lake, which was estimated to be about 300 yards offshore so art pulls off his vehicle onto the side of the road and he begins filming uh, in the brief video that he captured there looks to be some sort of lifelike three-dimensional creature swimming in the water however in 2005 national geographic had a show called is it real and the investigators benjamin radford joe nickel and john kirk they experimented and used boat surveyors to see if art's guesstimation of the distance was accurate or not and guess what art was way off skewing the perceived size and speed the surveyors concluded that the distance was actually much shorter resulting in the illusion of a much larger specimen in the end they decided that based on the information that they received in this little experiment that although it appears to be a living organism it's more than likely some sort of <laughs> 
wait for it, waterfowl, or perhaps even an otter or a beaver. Honestly, I don't know. Maybe it was just Art's adrenaline pumping through his veins when he saw this thing. Or maybe Art needs some glasses like me. Um, I'm not sure. But I'm pretty sure um, it's pretty hard to mistake a lake monster for a beaver. (laughs) Yeah, I'm like, I feel like the size is very different. Like, very not comparable. Try again. Yeah. But I guess, like, the depth of field, I can understand how that would um, mess things up. Because I remember, I think it was my cousin Jeremy. He took a picture of a picture. He cut out a picture <laughs> of himself in which he's really small. And he was standing like this with his with his arm leaning up. And he put it up against a golf ball <laughs> that was on a little, you know, peg. I'm not a golfer. I don't know what it's called. Yeah. So he took a picture of that and it literally looked like he was, you know, honey, I shrunk the kids golf version. So <laughs> yeah, so I, I kind of get it. But in two ways, um, the sightings of Ogopogo kept getting reported and a tourism agency that was nearby decided that they wanted to cash in on some cold, hard proof. So they offered a cash prize back in the 80s for an actual proven sighting. So in 1980, there was a tour of 50 people who allegedly all saw this creature that was swimming around the lake for 45 minutes or so. So that was kind of huge, but I guess they didn't consider that as proof. I don't know. But there was one tourist uh, named Larry. Please forgive me, Larry. It's spelled T-H-A-L. I've been saying Larry Tall, but it might be Larry Thal, but I'm going to go with Tall. So Larry Tall, he managed to capture a video of this creature on 8mm film, although the video was a brief 10 seconds. Even still, the skeptical folks, they were convinced that it was merely a couple of otters bobbing along. And I read somewhere, maybe maybe I saw it a long time ago on National Geographic or something, but otters will literally hold mm-hmm. hands in the water, and I think that's adorable. They will form a train, if you will. That's a good explanation for what it could be if it is if it isn't an ogo. Right. I mean, honestly, it sounds like a beaver thruffle, but who knows? In 1989, a Vancouver local named John Kirk, he was the one that I mentioned before, he toured the lake and also claimed to see Ogopogo, describing it to be 35 or 40 feet long, and it was crowned with five black humps. And those were kind of like all along his back and down throughout his tail. John estimated that the creature swimming clocked in around 25 miles per hour. Again, a little bit too many MPH right here. Too much MPH. (laughs) That's too much MPH. (laughs) You don't want to disrupt your MPH. You don't want to throw off your MPH. (laughs) Okay, so once again, in 1992, a man named Paul DeMera caught on video something or some things swimming just below the surface of the lake. He took a couple more videos that indicated that they were, in fact, several creatures lurking beneath the surface. A skeptic named Benjamin Radford, other dude I mentioned, he stated that he too believed that it was just otters. Even more damning for believers of Ogopogo. In 2005, there was an FBI video specialist named Grant Fredericks who was adamant that the Ogopogo looks eerily similar to a tree bobbing along the waters. He also noted that a nearby water skier seemed simply unbothered as it went past him. Again, in 2008, there were two more folks that saw the mysterious creature, a man named Sean Valoria and his lady, Jessica Wiegers. They were hanging out on the shore when they saw the creature. Sean was able to catch one photo before his camera allegedly abruptly died. 
although he never published this photo. So a week and some change later, Sean and his lady pull off the highway 97. When they notice there's another disturbance at the lake, Sean believes that the creature he spotted this time was about 18 to 20 feet long based on a nearby boat for scale. Sean captured, he says, 11 more photos and later made just a few of them public. So again, make of that what you will. Among the published photos, one of them looks like it could be the neck or a tail emerging above the surface. Many local experts reviewed Sean's photos and determined that the creature did not appear to be of any known species and couldn't find any evidence of photo manipulation of any kind. So that's kind of a little bit of a redeeming factor. Later in 2011, there was an albeit low-quality 30-second cell phone video that was recorded of two long, dark shapes underwater. Upon further examination of the footage, it became apparent that the objects were more than likely, get ready for it, logs. They dropped some logs, baby. And you know what? This actually kind of tracks, this theory does, because it turns out that the Okanagan Lake area has a booming timber industry, resulting in tens of thousands of logs that are harvested. So that, to me, kind of makes sense. That's, to me, at this point, the most logical explanation. I'm not sure. But more recently, there was a man named Shane Z, and he recounted his experience in 2019 on OgopogoQuest.com. Now, this website is literally chock full of all the tea. Everything you've ever wanted to know about Ogopogo sightings, it lives on that website. So go check it out. There's lots of cool pictures on there. So more recently, there was a man named Martin Z who recounts his experience in 2019 on ogopogoquest.com. I was working on the 22nd floor of a new high-rise condo in Kelowna. I am working from out of town, so I was taking in the views at approximately 9 a.m. this morning. I noticed that there are not many boats in the water on a weekday and how calm the water was. I saw something in the water today that was very hard for me to explain. It looked like a giant snake breaching out of the water, barely, but enough to make pretty big waves in and around it. There were no boats in the area and the water was very, very calm. I told a coworker to look out at the water in the area in question and my coworker was looking and seeing what I was seeing. Also dumbfounded. I still do not know exactly what it was, but after doing some research on the internet, the possibility of something very large living in a deep and extensive waterway of Lake Okanagan is very possible. This it must have been approximately 30 to 50 feet long, reaching out of the water for approximately two to three minutes. I tried grabbing my cell phone out of my pocket to get a picture or a video of the disturbance in the water, but by the time I got it out of my pocket, it had submerged and the waves almost instantly vanished and the water went calm again. It is very interesting that there was a sighting last week near Bear Creek Park when my encounter this morning was not was not far from there at all. He puts the coordinates and it's really long and it's a lot of numbers, but he says... It was approximately 200 to 300 meters from the shore and definitely worth investigating further. I always have had a hard time believing in something that I've never seen with my own eyes, but after my experience today, I can honestly say that there is something in these waters. 
They find new species all over our planet every day, and much of our planet has not been fully explored. I wish someone would get some drone footage of the area to possibly get a glimpse and put all the speculators to rest. He says, I know there's something down there. I just find it very interesting that the sighting last week by the man with the video was at Bear Creek Park, which is not far at all from my sighting. Very similar description. There must be something. I would love to purchase a drone and go up and down that stretch and get some concrete evidence. Martin Z. So that was Martin's account. There was a man named Larry, and this is the most recent one that I could find. He shared his account in 2021. Larry S. says, Two sightings, five years apart. I have lived in the Okanagan since 1982, and I have been water skiing out of Galatly Bay for over 30 years. I have had only a passing interest in Ogopogo sightings, thinking maybe there's something to the reports. Maybe not. About five years ago, I was out skiing, pulling my friend across the lake from Peachland towards Rattlesnake on a perfectly calm day. No other boats around. I noticed a small black shape heading northeast towards Kelowna, moving in a good pace, leaving a V-wake behind the middle of the lake, just like the picture on your website taken from the shore above. I motioned to the skier that I was turning the boat around to have a closer look. I drove up from behind, following the strange object in the water, and... When we came within 150 feet or so, the dark object disappeared under the flat water and the wake was gone. My friend's 23-year-old daughter was on the boat too and saw it as well. There wasn't much to see above the water and no pictures, so I didn't report anything. We knew that we had finally seen something odd and it wasn't a rogue wave or a muskrat or a beaver, etc. Now the really interesting sightings, Tuesday morning... June 1st, 2021, it was clear and sunny around 10.30 a.m. Galatly Bay was perfectly flat without a sign of a boat in sight, which was just what a water skier wants. Then we saw something moving in the water while driving to the boat launch before the ferry dock. I just about stopped in the middle of the road. With cars behind me, I just wanted to point it out. Now I wish I had. People were walking along the path, but no one was looking out. It reminded us of a small whale sighting. Not a breach, but a similar one moving along. We had just returned from six months in Cabo. Oh, must be nice. Um, And saw whales almost daily. I first noticed a splash of water and then a dark hump coming from the surface. And then it looked like a 20 foot or so log moving along the surface, leaving a wake. And then it submerged. Wake gone, only to resurface again after five seconds or so. With more splashes and several dark humps moving along towards the northeast, leaving a wake before going under again, and then flat water. We couldn't believe our eyes. I almost drove off the road. Unfortunately, no pictures or video. I kept going over the event in my mind and decided to call Costanet. Don't know who that is. Decided to call Costanet to see if they had any other sightings, which they said no, but took my name and number just in case to corroborate someone else's story. I didn't want to be interviewed as just another one of those sightings, which I always have been skeptical of. I decided to Google Ogopogo sightings just to see if there were similar sightings to ours, and I came across Ogopogo Quest website. So here is my report for the records. Larry S. What do you think? Fact or fiction? I feel like it's probably like a log or something. I don't know. Okay. Well, okay, so here are some possible explanations that they have for Ogopogo. 
So far, we've covered otters, beavers, and tree logs. Other theories are that he could simply just be a very large sturgeon or some other kind of big fish that, I don't know, maybe he got all jacked up on Mountain Dew, maybe a little poutine, don't know. Uh, But there's an extra fun theory that I personally think might be the case. What if, hear me out, what if Ogopogo does exist and it's literally a plesiosaur that allegedly went extinct 66 million years ago? What if that's the case? Who knows? Uh, During my research for this particular cryptid, I discovered that Ogopogo has some Canadian kin, so to speak, and those are in a few different provinces. So addition, in addition to the Ogopogo in Manitoba, allegedly there is the Manipogo. And then in Ontario's Lake Simcoe, the Egopogo. But yeah, that is the story of Ogopogo, who is very fun to say. But yeah, thanks everybody again for an amazing one year. And uh, we really can't wait for you to hear the next episode um i believe it's coming out the end of august so don't think we dropped off the face of the earth when you don't see an episode the week after next so it's gonna be fine it's gonna be fine yeah we're just taking a short break to go to cryptid bash and celebrate our birthdays and just like also uh have a little work-life balance for a change and that could be great it's gonna be great and then we're gonna come back with probably one of the coolest episodes we've ever done so should probably stay tuned. Yeah. <laughs> All right. We love you guys. Bye. Thank you so much for tuning into Shook. New episodes of Shook drop every other Wednesday on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Soon to be wherever you find your podcasts. Check out our show notes for more information on this week's episode, our social links, and more. Until next time, stay Shook. Hey. Do you have a personal paranormal encounter that you'd like to share with us? Visit our website, shookpodcast.com, to fill out our contact form. Or you can send us an email at shookparanormalpod at gmail.com.